0: Team, and let's never forget that the God of angel armies is always by our side. Our reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 to 20. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, You suffered from your own countrymen, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit, and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers... When we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, not of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Amen. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just uh, pray that the church today, that we are seen as a Thessalonian church, Father, we just pray that we focus on you and remember that uh, you left us here to uh, preach the gospel and to show your love. Father, we just, uh, we just pray that... Uh, you instill this in our heart again and again, that we are yours. Amen. We read that in verse 14, that the Thessalonian church became imitators of the first Christian churches which started in Judea, where Jerusalem is located. The Thessalonian church truly belonged to Jesus Christ. True Christians are in Christ, and true Christian churches are in Christ. But even some churches who call themselves Christian can be in something else besides Christ. And Paul notes that the Thessalonian church became an imitator of the first churches in Christ. So does that mean that they were doing everything just like those original churches? We note that in, in context, in verse 14 to 16, the Thessalonian church became imitators not because they followed everything in the original churches that they did, but because they persevered through persecution by their community. There are many denominations in Christian churches today. The test is not whether they follow every ritual and interpret every word the way we do. The true test is this. No matter how different Christians are from each other, no matter how differently Christians interpret God's word, are they trusting and only trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow and and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Word of God lives within us. It nurtures us, it guides us, and it corrects us. And our relationships involve us in suffering and hardship. Life is difficult. We're all sinners. We all miss the mark. We all suffer, and we all need support groups. And that is why Paul writes this letter of encouragement. Most of the Thessalonians' suffering grew out of the persecution from their own countrymen, who opposed violently their commitment to the Lord Jesus and their determination to follow and worship him. Caution is in order here when we read that Paul says, you suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Yes, it was the Jews who killed Jesus. It was the Jews of the Mediterranean, world of the first century, who persecuted Christians. Yet later on, Paul writes to the Romans, and he expresses compassion and care for his Jewish brothers and sisters. In Romans 9:11, he shows his belief and hope that God has not abandoned or rejected them. And we have no right to lay the sins of the Jews of the first century on Jewish people today. Sadly, Christians have all too often been in the forefront of hate and prejudice towards Jews. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he had a lot to say about this matter. He had come to the conviction that the old prejudices were no longer possible in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. As there were forces opposing the Thessalonians as they lived out dynamic Christian relationships, so there will be opposing forces working against us if we are faithful to the gospel of God's love and justice. The cost of discipleship in modern culture is becoming increasingly clear. Faithfulness to God's concerns for justice and righteousness for the poor, for the sacrificial pursuit of peace, is going to bring us into persecution and rejection. But our responses must always be shaped by the man on the cross who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There will always be opposition to Christianity on earth. In verse 17 to 20, we learn that Paul, Silas and Timothy longed to be with the Thessalonian church who were growing in their faith. There is always love and encouragement in spiritual growth. The Thessalonian church was effective because they were in Christ. And churches are in Christ because the people are in Christ. And a church in Christ will only happen when individuals are in Christ. And each one of us must commit to be in Christ. To be a Christian, one must be in Christ. We are to say to ourselves every day, I belong to Jesus Christ. We must commit and recommit to Jesus Christ as our only creator, savior, and Lord. And we are to often say, I belong to Christ. But should we all live like monks? It's a matter of priorities. Many of us are married. We all have or have had jobs here on earth. We all have families and friends. We all need rest and relaxation. Most of us have to deal with the snow coming our way soon. We can and we should be involved in many things in life because God has given us life to live on earth. But we are constantly to ask, is Jesus Christ involved in all these things I'm in? And am I allowing him to be Lord of all these wonderful things? 2,000 years ago, many Christian churches were still in the Jewish faith and rituals. Today, churches can be in many things. But like some churches 2,000 years ago, churches today can be into rituals mixed in with the worship of Christ. And so again, the same question we are to ask ourselves as individual Christians, we are to constantly ask of our church. Is Jesus Christ involved in all these things our church is in, and are we allowing him to be Lord in all these wonderful things? We must never forget to picture in our mind and understand putting on the full armor of God. In John 16:33, Jesus says, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome this world. The Lord Jesus teaches us plainly in the Gospels that the true church, wherever it is found, must expect opposition. The sad truth about these Jews that opposed the church was that they thought themselves to have to have a great zeal for god but in reality they were blind leaders leading the blind they thought they were pleasing god when they persecuted christians but in reality they were doing the opposite jesus spoke about this in john 16:2 they will make you outcast from the synagogue but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to god The truth is that pleasing God starts with trusting God's own Son. So Paul writes this to help the Thessalonians to see that such opposition was to be expected and they needed to know that they were not forsaken. God was on their side and such opposition was in fact an indication that they were in the right relationship with God. And these blind zealots, in fact, those at God were those that God was going to judge. I think we need to remember that when Paul wrote this letter in about 50 or 51 A.D., that the city that, the Lord, that, that killed the Lord Jesus was only 20 years away from its destruction. In 70 A.D., Jerusalem was utterly devastated by the Romans, and still all this points to a day of wrath at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, when He will crush all enemies and, op- and opposition. God remains in charge. There's, and this perspective needs to be had by us at all times. And as one commentator, commentator stated, for this we cannot trust the daily headlines. We must trust in the word of the Lord. I found this letter written in the second century. Fifty or so years after Paul wrote his letter to the Thessalonians. It's it's by an anonymous writer. This guy seems to write every century, this anonymous writer. anyways, Uh, He's describing a strange people who are in the world, but not of the world. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children, just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws, and they go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life, They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened, and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given a new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and are persecuted by Greeks, yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. The difference between the Thessalonian church, who were persecuted by their own countrymen for following Jesus back then, and Christians today living in North America is vastly different. In chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Paul says this about the Thessalonian church You became a model. To all the believers in Macedonia and Acadia, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acadia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Philippians, a well-known, respected Christian author, in an interview recently, says this about the church today. He gives a warning and then he ends with encouragement and hope. He says this. Frankly, I think the church in the United States, the more it embeds with politics, and Europeans understand where this goes. When the church and the state are seen joining hands, and then the state proves what it is, a flawed and sometimes corrupt system, then the church is judged by this, and it is rejected. There are countries in Europe where the church is set back for decades and decades because they have been stained by how they sold their soul for power. As the United States grows more and more secular, I tell the people there, we are becoming more like the fertile soil in which the early church did best. Like the Roman Empire, this was a pagan and hostile society in which Christians stood out by being different. When you are in a place like the United States or Europe in its recent past, where the majority will claim to be Christians, but then they look like everyone else, Then the people do not understand what the gospel is. But when God is scary, God is like Mount Sinai, smoking and thundering like a volcano. Scary. If you ask one of Jesus' disciples, What is God like? they would say, Well, I know this may be hard to believe. But God is like that person over there. God is like Jesus. He told us he came from the Father to show us what the Father is like. But Jesus did not stay very long. He worked, as as far as we know, for maybe three years, and then he left. And he actually said, it is for your good that I am going away, because now I am turning the mission over to you. For the world to understand what God is like now, the church is the answer to that. And the Apostle Paul, as he reflected, he used the phrase, we are the body of Christ, more than 30 times. Think about that. We are the body, presence of God in the world. God used to be present in Jesus in his son, Jesus Christ, but Jesus left. And he said it is actually good that I am going away because I am leaving you behind. And I am giving you the mission of informing the world and showing the world what God is like and sharing the good news of the gospel. So that's not the way the phrase left behind is usually used because there are some books with that title, but for me the church is the Jesus left behind because the only way the world would know what Jesus is like What God is like is through the church that Jesus left behind. There are some parts of the world where the gospel is news. It is something they have not heard before. I have been to these places like the Philippines, parts of Brazil, parts of China, where you just come and tell the story of the gospel, about God's love, about God sending his son. And people say, wow, this is wonderful, I want that but this is no longer news in Europe or in the United States. We have heard it. Your museums are full of that story, so it does not sound like news. And even in my lifetime, early on, Billy Graham could go to any stadium in the world and say, the Bible says, and people would say, I must believe it. It must be right, because Billy Graham says the Bible says it. Now people would say, so what? I don't believe in the Bible. It's a book of myths. The Quran says something else. The Upanishads say something else. Why should I be convinced? A theologian from Croatia used a phrase that helped me a lot. He said that in the old days, like the Billy Graham era, we could communicate the gospel head to head. I know the truth. I will proclaim the truth And you will say, oh, yes, this must be true, and I will believe it. But it does not work so much anymore. We live in a pluralistic society where there's a lot of different ideas floating around. The most effective communication is now what he describes as hand to heart to head. And so we reach out through our hands to do acts of mercy. We live the gospel as Jesus lived it with acts of healing and acts of compassion. We live it. We affect people. We show up where there is a human need. And then people wonder, why do they care about me? It touches their hearts. Why do they care about sexual trafficking? Why do they care about the environment? Why do they care about poverty and about earthquakes? Why did they spend all this time rebuilding my house? and that opens their head. So hand to heart to head. The acts of mercy touches one's heart, and the person who is touched wants to know why, what's behind it, what is your motivation. They're open to receiving the gospel in a different way than if I just showed up at your door, knocked on the door and said, I want to tell you the truth. They are touched by the truth before they even know it. They are touched by the truth before they even know it. In the year 313 AD, the Roman emperor, Constantine, decriminalized Christian worship. And in 380 AD, the state church of the Roman Empire was declared by edict. Ironically, this edict was named the Edict of Thessalonica, also known as Conscious Populus. And it was issued on February 27th, 380 A.D. by three reigning Roman emperors. It ordered, and I repeat, it ordered all subjects of the Roman Empire, which was basically the whole known world at that time, to profess the faith of the bishops of Rome and of Alexandria, making Nicene Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire and the world. And thus the church, like Thessalonica, was no longer the persecuted church, but in many instances became the persecutor by forcing all of its subjects to profess the faith. Quite different from the Thessalonian church that Paul was writing to. In verse 18, Paul writes, For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. As Paul wanted to visit this afflicted church, he found that Satan was hindering them from doing so. Paul recognizes this not simply as the work of men, but as the work of Satan. The source of all opposition to God's work is ultimately Satan, who uses demonic forces and, of course, people, even people in our community, and shockingly, sometimes even people in our church to do his work. Max Lucado wrote this on October 2nd of this month, right after the mass shooting in Las Vegas. The Bible names a real and present foe to our faith, the devil. He is not just a symbol for evil. He is the source of evil. He doesn't live in myths and fables. He is an actual being who stalks our planet. He knows his time is short, so he seeks to wreak havoc on every occasion. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. John 10.10 You're enjoying happiness. Satan wants to steal it. You've discovered joy. He'll try to kill it. Love your spouse. Satan would love to destroy your marriage. He is the enemy of your God-given destiny, and he longs to be the destroyer of your soul so don't dismiss him. Agree with the witness of Scripture. From the Bible's earliest to final pages, we are confronted with an arrogant, anti-God force of great cunning and power. He is the devil, the serpent, the strong one, the lion, the wicked one, the accuser, the god of this age, the murderer, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, Beelzebub, Belial, he oversees a conglomeration of spiritual forces, principalities, powers, dominions, thrones, princes, lords, gods, angels, unclean spirits, and wicked spirits. Satan appears in the garden at the beginning. He is cast into the fire in the end. He tempted David. He bewildered Saul. Saul and he waged an attack on Job. He is in the Gospels. He's in the Book of Acts. In the writings of Paul, Peter, John, James, and Jude, and serious students of Scriptures. Scripture must be serious about Satan. Jesus squared off against Satan in the wilderness, Matthew 4.11. He pegged him as the one who snatches the good news from the hearts of the hearers, Matthew 4.15 and 13.39. Prior to the crucifixion Jesus proclaimed, "Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out." John 12:31. Jesus saw Satan not as a mythological image, not an invention of allegory. He saw the devil as a superhuman narcissist. When he taught us to pray, Jesus did not say, "Deliver us From nebulous negative emotions. He said, Deliver us from the evil one. Matthew 6 13. We play into the devil's hand when we pretend that he does not exist, and the devil is a real devil. But, and this is huge, the devil is a defeated devil. Were Satan to read the Bible, something he is wont to do, he would be utterly discouraged because reference after reference makes it clear that the devil's days are numbered. Be alert to the devil, but don't be intimidated by him. And next time you smell the devil's stinky breath, remind him of the promise he is loath to hear. The God who brings peace will soon defeat Satan and give you power over him. Romans 16, 20. Satan may be vicious, but he is not victorious. So let this then be our perspective here at Bible Fellowship Assembly as we continue to hold on to the gospel. And let us not be afraid of opposition. Let us be careful at all times that we, leaders and members alike, do not become the opposition and so give the devil a foothold. Let us continue in the same prayerful mindset as we see here in the example of Paul holding on to the biblical principles that Jesus taught, turning the other cheek, avoiding argument and strife, and living with humility, meekness, forgiveness, love of neighbor, compassion for the poor and the needy, and showing his love to everyone that we may encounter. Because he loved us first, and he gave his life that we might live. He set us apart to show the world what God is really like. He is a God of compassion and forgiveness and love. And that is the message he commissions us to speak and to live. And so let us learn from our passage in Scripture this morning. Do we want to be seen as no different than the rest of the secular world? Or do we desire Jesus to say to us, as Paul said, to the Thessalonian Church, that we are indeed his glory and his joy. Amen. That's the praise team. Come up. And as we've uh, just been singing, Father, make that our prayer, that we might be the fragrance of Christ in the world among us, and that we would uh, be Christ's ambassadors, Christ's people here on earth. And we pray that your love, through us might be shown to those that we meet day to day, that we rub shoulders with, that we are uh, part of community with. And we pray your help and we ask your blessing to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.